Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are indeed our fortress, our refuge, our deliverer. Uh, thank you that you are the, are the rock on whom we stand. And Father, we pray that as we uh, look at this passage today, um, that you will speak to us uh, by your Spirit through your Word, uh, that you help us to see more clearly uh, the, the wonderful Savior that you've given us in Jesus, uh, that we might love him and obey him, uh, and that we might hold fast to you, uh, our mighty fortress. And so we commit this time to you. Uh, please help me to preach in a way that's helpful for everyone, uh, and pray that your Spirit work in each of our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, brief little quiz. How many people here are familiar with Taylor Swift? Taylor Swift, come on. I think it must be more than that. I'll put your hand up. Okay. Okay, all right. How many people here listen to Taylor Swift music? Wow, quite a lot, huh? Okay. How many people here will consider yourselves Swifties? Okay, we've got a couple of Swifties. We've got a couple of Swifties. Right, for those of you who don't know, Taylor Swift, one of the most popular cultural icons of our day. Uh, I don't actually listen to her music. My daughter's a big fan. Uh, but she's got lots of fans. Uh, and one of the things that people like about Taylor is that she writes songs about her own life. Uh, most of her songs are about her experiences, uh, the good things and the bad things uh, that she went through, uh, the people that she was in relationship with. And so in a genre of music that is usually very generic, Taylor's songs are very personal. Now, our passage today is a song. It is written by King David. It captures various experiences in his life, and in particular, his very personal experience of Yahweh, the God of Israel, as his saviour. The song is a psalm. Uh, as uh, Kevin alluded to, you can find it in the Psalter as Psalm 18. Uh, but it's here at the end of uh, 2 Samuel to help us reflect on God as we, as we look back on David's experience that has been captured for us in the whole of 1 and 2 Samuel. Uh, David probably wrote the song, at least most of it, prior to the kind of things we've been looking at this year. Uh, verse 1 tells us David spoke to the Lord the words of this song. On the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Now, if you've been with us for a few years, Saul was a very long time ago. Huh? Uh, Saul was David's predecessor. Uh, predecessor as king who had been trying to kill David. God kept saving him from Saul. And so this song is about that salvation, but not just Saul. Uh, David had many enemies. Uh, one after another over the years, and God rescued him again and again from all of them. And so David knew God, Yahweh, as his saviour, his rescuer. Right? Whenever you see the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, like, like you see it over there, right? uh, in our translation, that represents the Hebrew for Yahweh, God's personal name. And so the main theme of this song is in praise of Yahweh, David's Savior. Now David begins the song uh, at the end of verse 2. He says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn. Horn means the strength and not the pop on the car. Okay? It's a horn of my salvation. My stronghold, my refuge, my Savior. 
you save me from violence. David relates to God as his Savior. He says in verse 4, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. David cries to God. God saves David. David praises God. David thinks back on one example of this. He doesn't recount it in prose. He, he writes poetically about what happened when God saved him from a desperate situation. Verse 5. For the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cause of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. When David cries to God, God saves David. Uh, and so David pictures Yahweh as coming to, saving here, to save him here using very graphic imagery. Right? Obviously, it's not literal. Uh, it's very po powerful picture language. And look at it, verse 8. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heaven trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostril, devouring fire from his mouth, flowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed, bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rose on a cherub, that's an angelic being, and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made the darkness around him his canopy, thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world laid bare. At the rebuke of the Lord, the blast of the breath of his nostrils, Yahweh, the great divine warrior, rends the heavens and comes quickly down in fire and darkness and earthquake and smoke, that reminds you of what? Sinai, isn't it? And then parts the sea like he did the Red Sea when, when, when he was saving Israel from Egypt. He does that in order to save David. He saves David from Saul and he does it again and again for other enemies in his lifetime. Verse 17. He sent from on high and he took me, he drew me out of many waters rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out, saved him from the situation, and brought me to a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. You know, this amazing rescue, in the, if you saw it in person, it might have looked pretty ordinary. David defeated his enemies. David escaped from Saul. David was saved from being obliged to go with the Philistines in the battle against Israel. But David looks behind these scenes to the spiritual reality behind it. And he writes poetically, seeing the mighty hand of God in his rescue again and again.
But why is Yahweh with David in this way? Why does he come to his defense like that? Well, to start with, he's a God of justice. David says in verse 21, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. I suspect that David probably wrote this before the Bathsheba and Uriah incident. Even so, we know he was not perfect. So, how could he be writing like this? Well, David was not perfect, but he was godly and righteous. He was a man after God's own heart. He truly loved God. You can see that from his, from his writings and his psalms. He truly loved God and sought to keep his commandments. It was evident in his character. Just one example of how he just didn't kill Saul when he had every opportunity to do so because he feared God. He was beyond reproach. And God dealt with him in that way. He says in verse 26, With the merciful you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man you show yourself blameless. With the purified you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. As David himself experienced when he sinned. David's whole worldview was actually based on his relationship with God. He saw everything through the, through the lens of God's revelation. It says in verse 29, For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. And central to God's revelation to David was the fact that he was God's chosen king. He was the anointed king. Or in the Hebrew, it's the Messiah, the anointed one. Right? Later on, if you want to change it to Greek, it's the Chrysler. He's the anointed one chosen to save his people. And so he says in verse 30, For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. He's not saying he's Superman, right? Uh, nor is being anointed by God like being bitten by a radioactive spider. But being God's anointed one means that God uses him in special ways to save his people. Remember, this is the Old Testament model. And in the Old Testament model, his people were a nation. His land was a, a literal piece of land in the Middle East. His enemies were the enemies that attacked his people. And so God empowered David to fight against Goliath. And he did that again and again in his battles against the Philistines and the other enemies. But it's not just David who is saved and protected by God. David says that all God's people who trust in God's promises, find their protection and stability in him. Look at verse 31. He says, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord, that is the promises of God, 
proves true. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? In the end, Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the one true source of security for all his people. And that includes you and me. But friends, you and I are not God's anointed king. And we are certainly not called to lead God's people in military battle because we live in the reality, not the model. God's kingdom now is not an earthly kingdom. God's place is not an earthly place. Our enemies are not flesh and blood. But God is still our shield and rock. And if we trust God's promises to us, like David trusted God's promises to him, we will find our protection and stability in him. And we'll come to the nature of those promises towards the end of the sermon. In the meantime, David's song dwells in, on, on what Yahweh does for him to, to make him the military savior of his people. Verse 33. This God is my strong refuge. He has made my way blameless. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, sets me secure in the heights. He's not going to fall when he goes up on the, on the mountains. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me a shield of salvation. Your gentleness makes me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me. My feet did not slip. Because God is with David doing all this, then David is able to defeat his enemies, the, the enemies of God, and the enemies of God's people. Verse 38, I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them, I thrust them through so they did not rise, they fell under my feet. You equipped me with strength for the battle. You made me rise against they made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. They just turn around and run away. Those who hated me, I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. Foreigners came cringing to me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. David was feared, not just in Israel, but the nations around. Because his success on the battlefield was not his doing. It was Yahweh's doing. And so he gives God the glory. He says in verse 47, The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, the source of stability. Be exalted be God, the rock of my salvation, the rescuer. The God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out from my enemies. You exalted me above those who rose against me. 
You delivered me from men of violence. God rescued David. And for this, he says, verse 50, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, that is the Gentiles, the other people, the other countries, the non-Israelites, and sing praises to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. In the end, David knows that his victory comes through God's steadfast love to him. God had promised David way before that he would become king, and he did. And he promised David that later on, he promised David that his dynasty would last forever. And David knows that his salvation from his enemies, the ongoing favor that God was showing him, was as a result of those promises. And God's faithfulness to his king would lead to his praise among the nations, the Gentiles. And so as you look back at this, this song that David writes, in summary, he loves and thanks God because God rescued him from death. God chose him to be the king and savior of his people, gave him victory over his enemies. God came to his aid because David was righteous. But in the end, God did it, ultimately, because God is faithful to his promises. Now, those words were true for David. Even after the Bathsheba and Uriah incident, what David says about God is still right. God still dealt with him righteously, differently, but righteously, when he failed to live up to what he wrote about beforehand. And he still kept his promises to him all the way. Still kept the promises in the end. But these words are even better placed on the lips of the one who never sinned, great David's greater son. The apostle Peter said on the day of Pentecost that David was a prophet who, knowing that God had sworn on oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. All right? Now, true, he's quoting a different psalm at the time, but Peter's point about David still remains. It applies in these words as well. They are true of David, yes, to a point, but he actually foresees and speaks about the resurrection of Christ. They are ultimately true of Jesus. David was part of the model. Jesus ushers in the reality. David was the anointed one, but Jesus is the true anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. David was rescued from the danger of death, but Jesus was rescued from death itself. He was really, really dead, not just in danger of being dead. And God the Father rent the heavens and came down and did his big thing and brought him up from the dead. And with his great almighty power, raised him and exalted him on high. And gave him victory over his enemies. Not the, not the Philistines like David, but the ultimate enemies of God's people. Sin and Satan and death itself. And he did it because he is really just. Because Jesus was perfectly, truly, really, really innocent. 
not a hint of sin in him. And Jesus was the ultimate chosen king over all God's people. His kingdom is not of this world, but his kingdom continues from David's kingdom and lasts forever. In Jesus, God has indeed brought great salvation to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed. And so in Romans 15, verse 8 and 9, which quotes verse 50 of this passage, God's faithfulness to his promises in Christ results in the Gentiles, the nations, that's us, glorifying God for his mercy in fulfillment of this passage. And so now, sisters and brothers, if we are those who trust in Christ, we too can echo these words in him. We have the righteousness of God in Christ. Right? Because if we, are, if we are trusting in Christ, God has united us spiritually with him, united by faith. We bring our sin to the equation. He brings his righteousness and we, we are one. But he died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin, wiping it clean, wiping that slate for us. And so what we share now is his perfect righteousness. And on that basis, we can know that God will raise us from the dead. He will rescue us on that last day. And even though we die, we will not stay dead. God will rend the heavens and come down and with his mighty arm bring us up. And we will stand in the end victorious with Christ over sin and Satan and death and will reign with him forever. And on that day we will say, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, the shield, the horn of my salvation. And with all God's people, down through the ages and across the world, from every tribe and language and nation, we will glorify God for his mercy. In the meantime, like David, in and of ourselves, we still fall short. If the Spirit is working in us, he's, he's making us walk into God's ways, keeping us from guilt, changing us into Christ-likeness, step by step by step, giving us hearts that are after God's own heart. Yet, like David, we are in constant danger of falling. And like David, we sometimes, have, we sometimes sin. And we have to repent and come back to God. And sometimes, even though we are forgiven, even though our sin is wiped away, even though we still have eternal life, Sometimes we still have to live with the consequences of that sin. But like David as well, our ultimate hope is in the promises of God. 
the God who was faithful to his promises to David will be faithful to his promises to us. He has not promised us military victory over our enemies, as was the case for David in his role as the anointed one in ancient Israel. But he has promised to be with us. He has promised that through both the joys and tribulations of life, he will work all things for our good, even the bad things, for our good and his glory. To make us more like Christ in this life and ultimately transform us into his glorious image in the next. He has promised to save us from our real enemies, Satan, sin, his own wrath in hell. He has promised to rescue us from the grave on the last day. And he's promised to give us an inheritance in the real promised land, in glory that can never perish or spoil or fade. And so, brothers and sisters, in the ups and downs of life, in the changes and chances of this fleeting world, let us cling to him. He is our rock who gives us stability. He is our fortress who gives us safety. He is our deliverer who gives us salvation. We find our refuge in him. And so like David, we bless him, we praise him, we exalt him. And we tell the nations who do not know him, what a wonderful God we serve. Let's pray. Lord, you are our rock, our fortress, our deliverer, our God in whom we take refuge, our shield, the horn of our salvation, our stronghold, our saviour. Thank you for bringing salvation to, to Christ our King by raising him from the dead. Thank you that you've saved us from sin through his death for us. And that you have brought us from darkness to light, from, from slavery to Satan to the joy of your presence. Thank you that your spirit is with us day by day as we find our security in you. Thank you for keeping us trusting in your risen son through the storms of life that threaten our faith. And thank you that you will raise us from the dead on the last day and give us our inheritance in the new creation. For this we will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. Speak of your goodness and your glory to people who don't yet know you. 
that they might tremble before you and know your deliverance as well and find you to be their rock, their fortress, their deliverer. Amen.